On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. It is time for a second shot sit down and joining us today is Jordan Walker Ross, who is an actor, screenwriter, filmmaker, um, you know, based out of Fort Worth. And listen, you guys might be recognizing him because he has guest starred for nine episodes of 1883. He's also a series regular on The Chosen. Um, and also, as it pertains to this interview, happens to have cerebral palsy and scoliosis. So we are going to get into all components of Jordan. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited that you reached out. It really yeah. made so much sense when you reached out. I thought, gosh, this is such a second shot story. Um, we've loved seeing you on 1883 and, and The Chosen, but I want to start back when you were a little boy. Um, yeah. When did you find out that you had cerebral palsy or, or scoliosis or when did yeah. you realize that? So uh, I was born premature two months early mm -hmm. and uh, because of that, some complications at birth. Uh, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy right away. Um, and then scoliosis as I started you know, to grow and my back was developing a pretty severe curve. Um, and then I, I had a 98 degree curve in my spine um, at its worst. And uh, when I was seven, that's when they had to do a full spinal fusion mm -hmm. and put a metal rod, basically taking up my entire spine other than the very top and the very bottom. So I have very limited like flexibility okay. in my back. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they typically do that surgery when you're in your teens and most of your growing is done. Um, but with me, they had to do it when I was seven because it was starting, my spine was starting to crush my right lung, um, which made my asthma worse. So it was like, you wow. know, they, they kind of had to get in there fast and, and clean it up. So, and you always yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, I, I growing up, I always knew that I walked different or that my back was crooked, but I was still very active. I've always been kind of a daredevil. I'm, uh, even, you know, I'm 32 now and I still like climb trees and stuff. I, yeah. I love climbing things and I love, you know, running and jumping and playing football. So I was able to do it. It just looked different when I, it, it looks, sure. still looks different when I do it. So, sure. um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I knew growing up uh, and being in and out of the hospital, I think by the time I was, but by, by the time I got my back surgery, I had already had six other surgeries and um, was in and out of the hospital all of the time with asthma. So I was, I was really used to it at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, you had went through a lot of trauma and, and yeah. adult experiences yeah. at a really young age. What about cerebral palsy? How, what did that look like for you? That was... Or what does that look like for you? Yeah, it, it wasn't um, as severe as my scoliosis. I basically, the right side of my body from like the waist down is just a little weaker than the left mm -hmm. side. Um, my right leg is shorter by probably two inches um, than my left leg. So I wear a lift in my shoe um, and my foot kind of turns in. So there, there's just a few, like this is my weak leg. This is my strong leg. This one looks like if I'm wearing shorts, like a soccer player's leg. And then uh -huh. this one looks like I skip leg day every day. So um, <laughs> sure. it, it's like, it's uh, this one, um, or this one basically is doing all of the work. Sure. So that's what um, that does. And I've had some surgery, let's see, 
eight years ago, I had one on my hip um, to correct some of that because mm -hmm. I was starting to, to have some pain there. Uh, so I think I'm done with all the major surgeries now, mm -hmm. knock on wood. But uh, as far as cerebral palsy goes, it just you know gives me a, a noticeable limp. Um, but other than that, uh, everything else, it, you know, I'm able to. Uh, I have all you know motor function and mobility uh -huh. in my hands, and um, yeah, other than the limp, that that's about it. Yeah, I wanted to ask because I think it's something that people don't necessarily know a lot about unless they have somebody in their family. Yeah, um, you know what I mean, or a loved one or somebody that they're with all the time. They think, oh, I don't, I don't even know what that you know what that right. looks like, or or I, I guess there are probably different levels and, yeah. and layers. Yeah, affects different or, parts of your body. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, it's that's been something that uh, I grew up going to Scottish Rite right down the road from here yeah. and uh, that's where I got all of my, my back surgeries and I was fortunate enough to be around other kids that have a you know wide range of disabilities including mm -hmm. cerebral palsy and that um, was really educational for me to see how it affects different people. Um, and then with my podcast, I've, I've interviewed I, I interview all sorts of people, but I've interview, interviewed people that also have cerebral palsy, like RJ Mitty from Breaking uh -huh. Bad or uh, the comedian Josh Blue. And it, it's been so interesting talking to other people with the same thing as me, but it, it shows itself or reveals itself in totally different ways. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so th it can cause a wide range of, of issues or complications. Now, what about having a limp as a a, a little boy. What was that like? Because uh, I know yeah. it wasn't until much later that you really embraced the limp, right. more like adulthood. So what was it like growing up with that? So uh, as a little boy, I knew I walked different, but it was never, um, a, a, it, I never felt like it was a bad thing. I never felt insecure about it um, or felt like it was something to be ashamed of or something I needed to hide. Um, the first time I remember realizing that other people viewed me as different mm -hmm. was I was probably four or five and I was at Disney World with my mom and my grandpa and I had just put on my Pinocchio costume because we saw Pinocchio okay. outside of our window yes. and I was going to take a picture. As you should. Yes, mm -hmm. and um, I was running down the hall and uh, a couple of like college age kids came out of their room. So it, here was me and then the two college kids and then my mom and grandpa. Yeah. Um, so they were in between us and they saw me limping down the hall and uh, I guess they started like making fun of it, like doing it themselves. Uh. And um, I remember seeing it, but I didn't feel, I, I was just like, oh, that's funny. They're walking like me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize at the time that it was, you know, a, a mean thing to do. Uh, and my grandpa, I remember he grabbed one of them and put him against the wall and, and told him off. And uh, years later, I, I asked my mom and grandpa mm. about that. I was like, did I dream that? And they explained it to me. Um, but that was the first time I noticed that other people saw me as different. Um, but still, I didn't feel insecure about it. I was welcomed into like the theater community in DFW. Um, I, my first role was Tiny Tim, so my limp, uh -huh. you know, played a part in that. Um, and I played Colin in A Secret Garden, so uh -huh. it was like all of these different roles that kind of were at fit. And even if it didn't fit, I, I never was excluded from playing a role because of it. Um, and then once I got into my teens, it was kind of a perfect storm of like kids bullying me and then casting directors, because that's when I was also getting more into film and television, okay. um, where you're under much more of a microscope and uh, they you, you're expected to kind of be perfect or be exactly how they they want you to be, um, like with body you know expectations sure. and all that stuff. And uh, I started having I was having the the normal insecurities and. Uh, 
uh, feelings that a teenager has, but then also casting directors asking me to lose the limp or tone the limp down. And um, thinking and that you were like doing that. it on purpose? Some, what so, kind of? Yeah, some thought it was a character choice, and then some uh, were just like, thought it was too distracting. So they're like, hey, can you try to tone it down? And stuff like that. So it started taking away from my performance because I was too. Fo I was always focusing on the limp. Totally. Um, and I was really bad at auditioning for a really long time because of that. Because I'd go into a room and you, you, usually it's a room like this. So the casting mm -hmm. director's here, you walk in and uh, they get to watch, watch you walk in and stand on the X where you audition. So even just the walking in so, is yeah, tough. Is, before I even start. Yeah. yeah. And if I saw them as I walked in, glance down, then I was like, well, I'm not getting this part. So it was like a psychological um, warfare that I was going through. Um, and then in school, I, I got picked on for the first time uh, in my life uh, by my peers regarding my Lent because before I went to private schools and everyone knew me, um, but then I went to my first public school in ninth grade and I didn't know anyone there. So it was like kind of, I was an easy target. And um, that's when I started for the first time to view my Lent as like something that I should be ashamed of. I, I viewed it as like, I, I had this passion for acting and this ability to do that that I felt was like a gift, but then I also had this curse that was preventing me from um, realizing the potential of this gift. So it was like, I, it was kind of a, a hopeless feeling. Right, like why Why was I given this desire? Like why was it put on my heart yeah. to desire to be an actor right. when when then there's also this, this obvious will, struggle? Yeah. Talk about the moment when you, because it sounds like that was a long road of casting directors For continually sure. saying that and you going through that. And, and as I understand it, it's just a grueling process to show up at these auditions, yeah, yeah. right? Like it's even if, even sans limp, it's it's grueling, right. yeah, um, and can be a little grating on your self esteem. Yeah, I'm sure. It's um, yeah, it's something that like every audition, you know. At one point, it got it got to a point to where I was. I don't think I had booked anything in like five years, four or five years. And the one thing I did book uh, was a commercial. I'm not going to say what the commercial is for. Okay, but. Um, it was for a, a national commercial that was gonna air during the Olympics. So I was really excited. It was the first thing I'd booked in years. Um, and I was cut out of it because my limp was too noticeable. Oh. Um, so it was like, it, it, it took a really long time, but I also knew I had put all of my eggs in that basket of like wanting to be an actor. Um, so I didn't really have another option or, or desire to do anything else. Um, I, I kind of made a promise to myself at a really young age, like I'm in this no matter what, even if I'm pursuing it until I'm 80 or 90 years old, like I'm going to keep pursuing it. Um, so I, I always had that determination, um, but I did not have the confidence to go along with it. Um, and it took a while, but then it, it's really been the last few years, thanks to The Chosen, and I'm sure we'll get into all that mm -hmm. too. Um, but the last probably three years have been key for me in terms of accepting um, myself as I am. And uh, it, it, so it was over 20 years, almost 30 years uh, that I wasn't able to. A so. real big, big process, right? From, yeah. from total acceptance as a child. Right. Because other children were kind and family friends were kind. Yeah. And people that knew you were kind to then the strangers and then coming back around. But I have to stop before we go on. Okay. Um, five years. Yeah. For five years, he did not get a role. Yeah. And he kept going. 
I think that's, the, to me, I look at that as the most impressive part of the story because, um, because really, I mean, you know, listen, a lot of people give up on the first no. You know, yeah. maybe the second or the third no, but, but I mean, how many auditions is that over the course of five years? Oh, man. I mean, sometimes there'd be spans where it would be months without an audition, but then uh -huh. other times, especially living in LA, you know, I, I could get five or six auditions in a week. Um, and it, it is really hard because you, get in this mindset of like, you're just expecting no every single time. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, it's a lot. I think though, having a grandpa who's in the industry helped me prepare for that because he, uh, Barry Corbin, by the right, way. Right, I was gonna bring that up. Yeah. Was that was it Barry, That was that Disney with you? Yes. Or was that the other grandpa? Yes, okay. it was him. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting. I was wondering, but I wanna hear yeah. okay, first, perfect. He's really so. passive and like kind of a teddy bear, but he has that tough like Southern voice, that yeah. authoritative voice. Yes. So when he wants to turn that on, he can be intimidating, uh, which he was to those guys. But um, watching him uh, act, uh, I was around on sets a lot and I saw him go through ups and downs in his career. Um, so that gave me a little bit of preparation, but then also the fact that he, I think he was 39 when he booked his very first movie, um, and he had been pursuing it since his late teens. So he booked nothing for 20 years. I didn't realize and that. Yeah, he was I 39. I have goosebumps. Yeah. Do you guys? Th and that is, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, so he went to New York for 10 years did off, off, off Broadway, okay. um, and then went to LA for 10 years and wrote radio plays back in like the 70s and 80s. Uh -huh. And then um, whenever he was 39 years old, he booked Urban Cowboy as John Travolta's dad, or grandpa, or not grandpa, uncle. Okay, um, your grandpa. Yes, my grandpa. <laughs> um, and uh, so he booked that, and that same year he got uh, Stir Crazy with um, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder and Any Which Way You Can, or Any Which Way But Loose. One of those two with Clint Eastwood. Um, and from then on, he now has, you know, almost 300 credits and uh, has has made a career doing it. So I always told myself, I call him Mampa. Uh -huh. um, I was like, if I can make it by the time Mampa made it, I'm, uh -huh. I'm good. So I have until I'm 39 years old and uh, oh, I'm 32 fabulous. now. So it, it, I feel, I feel good, you know, to me, I made it earlier than I was expecting to, so. Right. Yeah. What what kind of mindset does one have to have to continually be rejected yeah. and told no and to keep showing up? It's interesting, like, I'd say, no, just focus on why you're doing it. Um, if you're results oriented, yeah. um, it, it's gonna be really hard and it's hard not to. Right now I'm, I'm up for a role that I had two callbacks for and it's like a big opportunity. So I'm in that, I revert back to that mindset of like checking my email every five minutes and uh. waiting and that can kind of drive you crazy. But um, I think just remember why you're doing it and, and I think it was Philip Seymour Hoffman that said, um, anytime you have an opportunity to perform in a room that someone else is paying rent for, um, you're having a chance to practice your craft for free. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're performing for someone else. Um, hopefully you end up moving them in some way. And that's what we want to do as actors, whether or not we're being paid for it. Um, so I've, I learned over time, um, and it's easier said than done, but I learned over time to enjoy the audition process. And to, if there's a character I love, yeah, it would be great to play the character in the actual project, but um, it's just fun getting to play that character for five minutes in an audition um, and then move past it. And I'm grateful for that. So uh, just remember why you're doing it and uh, you know, stick with it. Like it's something that 
if you love it, you kind of owe it to yourself to mm -hmm. stick with it because otherwise you're always, there's so many actors that are incredible that gave up and always ask themselves like, what if I had stuck with it a little bit longer? Um, and I never wanted to regret that. Uh, you know, I never wanted to regret like not trying hard enough or not sticking with it just a little bit longer. Um, so yeah. I feel like the message is you gotta love something enough to do it in your free time. Yeah. Right, because I mean, what, what were you doing for a living during that time or? Yeah, uh, um, like I wasn't making much of a living, um, but it was, uh, I was doing like the gunfight shows at Six Flags and oh, you know as a cowboy yes. there and I was doing dinner theater and I was teaching acting to kids and teens and uh, working in admissions at, at uh, KD College down the road and um, I, so I was doing a lot of different odd jobs that were all kind of related to the arts mm -hmm. and um, I got into marketing a little bit and uh, my dad is actually the mayor of Arlington uh -huh. so um, I was doing his marketing um, for his law firm and his restaurant and you're uh, like you're welcome dad yeah right yeah he's mayor because of me <laughs> um, no but uh, I, I did a bunch of things like that that were all I found joy in it like mm -hmm. I covered the Cowboys for a bit and um, all things that I, I enjoyed but it was not acting like acting is it for me like that's what I've always kind of felt like my purpose is so there always was that that hole there where I felt like you know I, I wasn't being fulfilled in that area um, and uh, yeah I, I just kind of and then having kids added more pressure and it just kind of happened when I least expected it and it was uh, you know it, it was a role I didn't think I would get and uh -huh. on the chosen and um, yeah, it, 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 which always, I feel like that's the case with everything, whether it's like you're looking for love or you're pursuing your dream, it always happens when you don't think it will or when so yeah, you're at your lowest point or whatever. So true. Okay, so how did it come about? Now that now that you really know how hard it is to get a role <laughs> on anything, yeah. right? Just literally a, a commercial, anything. How did you get to be a part of 1883? So uh, for 1883, um, that came a little bit, so basically I'll, I'll rewind a little sure. bit. So the Chosen, um, was the first step and that I got in 2018 um, and at the time I basically had my first full-time job um, because we had our daughter um, and then we were pregnant with our second daughter and I was like I'm just an actor like when it was just me and my wife yeah um, we were okay like scraping to get by right oh and yeah you don't have to support anybody yeah i get yeah. it yes and, and all of a sudden you can't take risks anymore right, because exactly. you got to provide food for children yeah and it was hard because i'm i'm not qualified to do anything else that at least could you know that i could uh make a, a good living doing because I, all i've done is act so i was like what can i do that will allow me to at least put food on the table and pay our bills. And I got a job doing admissions at an acting school that I graduated from, um, which was nice because I was still talking to actors every day and enrolling them sure. into the college. But I also felt kind of like a failure because I graduated from there, went to LA and was like, yeah, I'm gonna make it big. And then I came back with my tail tucked between my legs and was like, hey, will you give me a job now? Mm -hmm. um, and it, so it was, discouraging I wasn't able to audition as much anymore because I was working nine to five um, and it was this feeling of like I I knew I still wanted to act and I wouldn't give up on it but I also didn't know when I'd have the time to do it and how how it would happen and it, it was like such a scary feeling and um, I ended up getting an audition notice for the chosen uh, from my agent she sent it to me and they wanted me to audition for uh, Matthew originally and 
I was about to turn the audition down because I hadn't auditioned for anything in months. Um, I had a busy day that day, so you I was had like, a nine to five. Yeah, yeah I was like, I'm not going to be able to sneak off. Like, I, I could do it during lunch maybe, but um, I, I just didn't, and I didn't think I'd book it either. So I was like, I'm just going to turn the audition down. Um, and then I realized they were holding the auditions in the building I worked at, like literally 30 seconds down the hall. And um, I was like, okay, cool, whatever. I'll go do this real quick. And I did. Um, a week later, I got a call back for a different, for Andrew, and then I did that um, for the director, Dallas Jenkins, and then a few days later, I got the call um, to play Little James, and at the time, uh, the first four episodes, I was only, I worked four days, so I was just grateful to be on a set and to have a few lines totally. and, um, you know, new footage for my demo reel, and I was excited about all of that, uh, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, you know, it's a faith-based project, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know if it would be, you know, like a, a, a cheesier thing or how how sure. it would turn out. So I was like, you know, just hopeful that uh, it, the footage would be good enough for my reel, and that would be it. And then a year later, we came back for the next four episodes, and I had a little more to do then, um, where I worked, you know, the full four months that we were shooting. And then a year later, we did season two, and then after season two, it just blew up. Um, we have. I think almost 450 million viewers now. Incredible. Um, we're in the middle of season three. So it became this thing I never would have imagined. And through that, um, which also was a huge reason I accepted my, I can accept myself more now, but it also opened the opportunity to, or opened opportunities for other roles um, like 1883 uh, and there, there's another project I have that's coming out this year. I can't say what it is exactly, oh. but um, there, there are things that I, I was able to audition for roles that I probably wouldn't have been able to if I didn't have the chosen on my resume first and if sure. I didn't have um, that material to showcase certain scenes and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, the, it, that was when it happened for me. And I was, let's see, 28 uh, when I first got The Chosen. And then last, this year really, um, last year and a half have been the first time I've been able to just make a living doing this. And uh, yeah, it's So you're not at the admissions office right. anymore. No, no. Okay, you know, isn't it interesting that we, you know, we. It, struck me that you said that you had gone to school there, graduated, gone to LA and then come, you know, to yeah. come back and and to feel like, oh, I'm a failure, you know, and I yeah. wonder why we do that. I think, you know, when you have high aspirations, it's you're putting yourself at such risk to hurt yourself, right? right? Because because everybody that has a big dream is going to get knocked down yeah. many times. Yeah. Uh, like you did. It's, you know? It's true. Yeah. It's something that like, and I still do, I still have, you know, aspirations that are probably way too uh, ambitious and um, oh, there's no such thing I, oh, yeah I agree <laughs> but um, especially if, if a friend or my kids told me they had a dream to do something nothing's too big for them you know I, I believe right. in them no matter what but when it's yourself it's a little harder you're a little harder totally. on yourself but um, I yeah when, when it comes to that um, I, I just kind of feel like I, like I mentioned earlier, if I'm if I don't try and if I don't give it my all, I'm always going to have 
you know, doubts. I'm always mm -hmm. going to wonder what if. Um, and I've seen too many friends and, and family that um, have struggled with that question of what if. And I, I just, I don't, I don't ever want to do that. So. Yeah, you don't want to get to the end and feel like I didn't put it all out there, yeah. right? I didn't, didn't yeah. use my talents or, you know, maybe God's gifts if you choose right. to look at it that way, um, you know, to their fullest. Exactly. So that can be really tough. It can be really tough to regret something like that. Yeah. But there's also the juxtaposition of having to keep, take care of a family, right? Because you, once you have yeah. family, you can't just be running off and chasing your dreams. Right. I, it, but it worked out for you. Um, yeah. Okay. For, as for the limp, now yes. it sounds like these getting you know, being a part of these projects, you were encouraged to embrace the limp. Yeah. So the chosen was kind of the catalyst for that. Um, there is a shift in the industry. Uh, they they totally. are casting more people that actually have disabilities. Um, it used to just be you know, all able-bodied actors playing characters with disabilities and then winning Oscars for it. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, there's character actors that actually have that specific thing that aren't getting that, that chance. Um, so th that, that's a encouraging shift that we're seeing, I think. But as far as um, The Chosen, so the director saw me uh, in the audition and he noticed that I was limping. And then on set, uh, we're wearing sandals. You know, it's first century. Sure. and. He, it, my limp is more prominent in sandals or barefoot because I don't have lifts in my shoe. Uh. And uh, he asked me my first day on set, uh, you know, what was wrong or, you know, if I had, if, if I got hurt or something or if I just had, um, you know, some sort of disability. And I explained it to him and I was terrified when I did because I thought because of the commercial that I had been cut out of in the past, that's exactly what happened with that. Right. The director noticed it, um, asked me about it, and then they cut me out. Um, so I thought they, The Chosen was gonna do the same. They were gonna recast me or make my part smaller. Um, and he ended up for season two approaching me and asking if I would be willing to make it part of my character. Um, you know, it's Jesus and the Apostles. Mm -hmm. So basically uh, my character then has this dilemma of, I'm following this guy who's healing these people, but he's not healing me. And uh -huh. I've been following him this whole time. Um, and it's something that whatever your, your faith or lack thereof is, um, I feel like it's kind of a universal thing of comparing ourselves to others and wondering like why, why me or why not me. And um, it, it was a really scary moment when we first explored that on the show. Totally. Um, because I had to force myself to be more vulnerable than I ever had been. I never really opened up about um, my insecurities. I, I was very... Um, open about like if people asked about my limp, I, I would tell them, and I'd make. Jo I was I use self-deprecating humor and sure. all of that, but I didn't talk about how it really made me feel um, until I did this scene where I'm expressing to another apostle on the scene that like I'm kind of mad that I was dealt this hand and that I'm not being healed and um, kind of bitter and had this resentment and it was really cathartic getting to express it for the first time through this character. Um, and now just doing that, it helped me to stop viewing, like it kind of, it relinquished some of the power that those insecurities held right. over me. And um, it, over time, it helped me to learn to love those things about myself and to see the strength um, in that and mm -hmm. to see the positives. And um, you know, now I'm at a place where I'm, I saw plenty of room to grow, but I'm, I'm much more, uh, I'm much kinder to myself than I was, yeah. and and I don't view it as something to be ashamed of anymore. And um, yeah, I mean that's what I hope to help others do now. So.
Beautifully said. Jordan, Thanks. thank you so much for your time today. Of course. It has been so great to chat with you. I know you have uh, a podcast yourself, so give a shout out for the name so people yes. can look it up. So what's your limp? Um, as I said, I, I want to help other people learn to love their limps. Um, you know, it, like I loved mine and yes. everyone has a limp, you yes. know, whether it's physical or internal. So. Yeah. Yeah. What a great concept for a show. I, I really, really love talking to you. And I, listen, I hope you guys just found this to be inspirational, especially if you're somebody who's thinking it's too late for you. If you think, gosh, I, you know, I had this dream, but I applied a few times somewhere and I, I didn't get it. Um, you know, if, if you still have the desire, perhaps you should keep going. I hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget these air on CW 33 TV as well. And you can find the rest of our episodes at secondshotpodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon.